This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Basically, in my experience, I've been coaching about four or five years now with um, mostly all junior athletes, so U18s. Um, uh, the majority of them probably, uh, say, 12 years old to 17 years old in that range. And I've run across some, some research lately as I'm always looking at something to try to improve my athletes. And, and I looked at a, a few studies that involved visualization practice um, almost in conjunction with physical practice to try to enhance skill. And there was, there was some research on sort of basketball free throws and putting skills and some stuff like that. And I seem to remember reading about the, I think it might have been the crazy Canucks downhill ski team, uh, visualizing the race and getting kind of simulated uh, EMG movements in the different muscle groups that they use in the actual race. Uh, have you run across any information like that that, that shows that you know, if, if, say, for instance, if you had an athlete that had an injury or you were starting to get some uh, repetitive strain injuries, that kind of thing, that, that they could possibly, you know, visualize what they need to do and, and possibly enhance that skill or, or at least maintain it? Well, I actually, there is some good research that supports what you just said, and I think it's absolutely feasible. Um, in the studies, there were a few alpine skiers, Canadian, who did that, uh, when they were injured, and they were very committed to visualizing, and it worked very well, but the key is they were very committed to visualizing. So they would spend 15 or 20 minutes a day visualizing the run in Kitzbühel, even though they weren't going to be on it this year, but they were going to be on it next year, as an example. And so um, can you do that? Absolutely. I don't see it done very effectively by most individuals just because they don't practice it enough. So could it be useful? Absolutely. Is it? Mm, not so much. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Because I know, well, I know, I think the, the higher level the athlete, like I know even myself, if, if I'm going to try to hit a golf shot, that you can almost, you can almost feel what your body has to do in order to, you know, to, to execute the shot before you hit it. So, uh, you know, I assume that probably the further up the kind of the, the the chain you are, probably the easier it is for for you to make that happen, rather than for somebody that hasn't really experienced it and has has a huge repertoire of of uh, technique. That's yes, and so when you start learning to visualize, one of the other quote unquote rules I might have is visualize things you're already good at from a technical perspective, because then you can actually see and feel them because you know how to do them. Right. Don't start with things that you're not good at because it's harder to do. No, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I would, but you could absolutely use, you know, if I was to, you know, I would step up and I would visualize what I want to do and then, I'd, and then I would be, you know, breathing and I would practice breathing because that's also a skill to slow down your breathing. Um, and, you know, shoulders down, relaxed, and then it is moving into, just let the shot happen, right? Like right. just let it 
be executed as your body knows how to do it. So your brain is not really focused when you're over the ball and about to hit it. You've moved into sort of what the Italians have coined neural efficiency. Right. And I've, I've looked at some stuff that Cyan Balak has done uh-huh. research, and, uh, and, and and it's sort of along that same line where if we're going to think about how we're executing, you're probably not going to execute very well, right? Yeah, and so she talks about choking. Right. And choking is choking's a real thing, but it is, we have to be careful we don't overuse it because choking is really about an underperformance. When you right. actually could have won, made the team, come in the top three, whatever that was, and you actually underperformed. But that comes from overthinking the skill. Absolutely, our brain has, but it's moved past focus into much more ruminating, and and it's going over and over and over it again, and you get exhausted, and you physically get tight, and you can't execute the motor performance. Right. Very real. Yeah, yeah. So when we start, again, we, some different things we start to look at as athletes start to progress through different levels of competition. So you get to a point where we talked about where they, they move in and out of focus and maybe it's worried about something that's going to happen or their parents are going to show up or something, depending upon the, the age of the athletes. Uh, there, obviously, there's going to be more distractions the, the further they go. This year, I was able to work with at the World Junior Girls and, and do some stuff there with Team Canada, too, and, and even just... Um, in terms of media and, and sponsors and different stuff like that, there tends to be more distractions introduced at different levels of competition. Now, is is there a um, you know a way that we can prepare the athletes for that, or do they have to? Is it more of a live and learn uh, type of situation where they get into it and then they realize there's going to be more distractions and then develop a strategy to cope with it? Or what do you what do you think as they start to move through higher higher levels? How how do they keep keep it online and, and concentrate and focus on what needs to be done? Well, we can absolutely prepare for those distractions, and we absolutely should. Sometimes it still is a little bit of live and learn um, as we go, but we can help that process an awful lot. So, well, I sort of say plan A is, if we think about, you know, on the golf course is when do I want to be focused, when am I going to take a break, when do I want to be focused, and on what, and when do I take a break. So that's that's the plan for 18 holes, and let's see how well I can do that. Like, what percentage can I be really good at that? Not perfect, good at that. And then plan B is, what are all the things that could take me out of that? What are all those negative distractions? And and one of the funnest things, I think, is brainstorming that with a group of players or individually, however it works out, to say, what are all the things that could mess you up on the course today? And and it can, I mean, you've named a whole bunch. It can absolutely be media. Um, it can be parents showing up who don't show up or parents not being there who are normally there. Um, it can be feedback you're not used to getting. Um, it can be obviously all the weather conditions that happen. Um, it can be, you know, who else uh, plays well and surprises you or doesn't, you know, or plays terrible. And it can be the pressure of, I got to be the third best person here, or I'm going to look bad with the rest of my team in terms of a world championship in golf. So it's like brainstorming on those, and then saying, "So what do you want to do about those?" And so it's like the plan B of 
Well, and some of them you don't have control over, which is the cliche, i.e. the weather. So how are we going to make sure we have all the clothes and equipment we need to manage for the rain and the wind, if that's the case, or the heat? Do we have food with us? All those kinds of things. And what's important is you sort of name them all, and it is really quite um, fun to do that with a group, so I would absolutely do that like with a team going to the World Championships or going to an Olympic Games saying, what are all those things? And you name those, but that's only the start of that, and then it's what are the solutions? And it's really then educating them about some of these things you can absolutely control and some you can't. So let's talk about the ones you can control first and what's that mean? And then what are we going to do about the ones we can't? So if it's crummy weather tomorrow, what are we going to do about that? Right. And, you know, I often ask a question and say, well, do you want to play well? And the inevitable answer, of course, is yes. Okay, well then let's deal with how windy it's going to be on the course tomorrow um, and not let that drag us down and adjust how we're going to hit the ball. Not easy. I mean, none of this is easy. But it's so much more doable than sometimes we think. So yeah, that's a plan B of what are all the things. The one piece I would say is don't try not to do that very close to a competition. So do it a couple of weeks out if it was a world championship. Because you don't really want to be thinking about that when you're out there on the course. I mean, that's where your plan B, your back pocket plan, and you really want to be focused on what you want to be doing well. But then when something happens, you kind of go, oh, okay, I can do that because we already talked about it. Right. Now, do you think it would be, maybe it would be a good idea through practice, even through the season, if you kind of surprise them with some variations to their practice in order to, to try to get them out of their comfort zone a little bit? You can absolutely do that. But my only but on that is don't do it too soon. Don't do it with young players who don't have very many good focus skills. Get right. them some good skills first. Right. And then, yeah, you could absolutely set something up. Yeah. And then you see how they react, and they see how they react themselves. Yeah, that That's like when they're really going to learn. Yeah. If you did something like, you know, I can remember when we were at CDC, um, I mean, you had us out doing some yeah. things outside, and we, we putted with somebody else's putter, or we, you know, yeah. we did something a little bit different. and. It just it just to see how the athlete copes with it. If right away they go, oh my God, I can't do this, or or just they go, oh, this is no problem. I can make this happen. Um, so I, you know, I think that was sort of my point of that statement was just to. to Absolutely, and what it shows you is where your thoughts go, where your mind goes, and it goes to, whoa, crap. You know, what am I going to do about that? And it's okay if your mind goes there. If you then bring it back to, okay, now what do I need to do? I can't stay there. Because there's no way we don't, we're not, players are not machines. They're not robots. They are human beings. So they will react. But then how will they react? Right. Again. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's really instructional for you to see. And that's why we did it with you at CDC, right? For you as coaches to see, well, how did I react to that? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, why would I think my players would be any different in a sense, right? So it's it's very cool to see, oh, that's where my brain goes. Oh, you know, that's changed. You know, now it's 12 feet away. How did that happen? What am I going to do? Oh, I can't make it from there. Right. 
the last number of years, what, in terms of sort of mental training, physical training, like, you know, I, I mean, I've been around for a while, and, um, you know, in the past, especially with our sport, with golf, I mean, everything was sort of all technical training, technical training, technical training. And then, you know, maybe, I'm going to say maybe 15 to 20 years ago, there started to be, you know, some sports psychologists and some different people sort of looking at process and, uh, you know, calming yourself and, and the mental aspect of the game. How, how have you seen, like, say, in the last 15 or 20 years, the shift from maybe technical to mental training? And, and you know, once a player gets to a certain skill set, do you think there's, there's you know, one of these, these issues should override the other in terms of consuming time during the day? <laughs> the million-dollar question. You need both. I mean, one of the ways I look at it is, is calling it a performance puzzle. And so, you know, the, the physical and technical side of golf, you've got to go out and practice and you've got to go out and train. And, and that is the most important part. And then staying healthy, um, uninjured, um, is also really important, and you could add in flexibility and strength and conditioning training, which is key to staying healthy. You can talk about nutrition. I think all those pieces are quite important. When we get those pieces right, many people get those pieces right. So not everybody, so let's get those pieces right. But when we get them right, and we're at the Olympic Games in Rio, or we're at the World Championships, who wins and plays their best on that day when the pressure's high are those who have learned these skills and practiced them and trained them, the skills that we've just talked about for the last 40 minutes. And, and so is it more important? No, it's just important at a different time. And it comes back to the first comment I made. I mean, anxiety is normal. It'll never go away. So my joke is, you know, when I go to Olympic Games with athletes and teams, et cetera, I say, you know, my job is that I hope I don't have anything to, job, to do. I hope I've prepared everyone really well psychologically and they actually don't need to talk to me. And I mean that sincerely. Um, however, it's almost inevitable that I have a conversation with every athlete I work with over the course of that two to three weeks in Olympic Games and sometimes quite often reassuring them, reminding them of what they know and have trained how to do because that's what anxiety is. And that's what makes, you know, doing well in a high-pressure situation, doing as well as one can, is really hard to do. Um, and so, you know, is one more important than the other? Absolutely not. But they're all important at different times. Okay, great. You know, and I do, so once we get the athlete out and they, they – for instance, a golfer, and we go out and we watch them when they're on the golf course, and we're, and we're going to debrief after the round and, and talk about what was great and what might have been a little bit better and kind of tweak things from there. Uh, quite often when I watch athletes on the golf course, uh, we talk about pre-shot routine as, as a big thing to be ready to go yeah. focused and, and play the shot, but quite often it's the reaction to that re the, the shot that often is, is uh, the athlete is unaware of. So. Quite often I'll videotape, I'll take my iPad and I videotape sort of the post-shot routine of a lot of the players. <laughs> yeah. And quite often they're shocked when I show it to them how they react and, and sort of the self-talk and that kind of stuff that happens after the shot. Is, do you, what do you feel about the post-shot routine and that? I mean, we, we go through it with a debrief and then um, 
I usually say to them when I show it to the athletes, I say, you know, is this the way you want to portray yourself or convey yourself to to uh, anybody that might be around watching you play? And and like I said, a lot of times it's quite shocking, and they're not even aware sometimes of you know how they uh, they talk down to themselves and and create different uh, bad scenarios for themselves that they're talking. Yeah, so I think it's terrific that you do that, and and that's you know. Uh, that comes back to the self-awareness piece. It, they don't even know they're doing it, or or they don't want to know it. And so, by in the best sense, showing them that video. And I always frame these pieces in: we're doing this because you want to be better at golf, right? Right. And and so it is framed in that question. So it's not seen as punishment or making fun of them. It's like, let's talk about how this didn't help you on the course or if it did how did it help you but in most cases it's not going to be so i think that's terrific to do that because it is again i want to come back and say you're going to have a reaction if you hit it and it's not good i want you to have that reaction but i want you to the player to have developed the skill that you can let that go in the next minute so you do a mini analysis and you let it go, and then you're walking down the fairway planning for how you're going to fix that mistake. That's psychological resilience. That's being smart. That's enabling you to see how many good shots you can have on an 18 hole. Because they're not all going to be perfect. And so when, when you look at that, I mean, some people, I mean, everybody has sort of different levels of, emotional stuff that they show when you watch yeah. guys on TV or the girls on TV. I mean, they're all, they behave a little differently. Do you, do you think that it's okay for that athlete to kind of explode for 30 seconds and then get back to it? Or, uh, I mean, not everybody's going to be able to bottle everything in and keep it in. Some people react differently. How do you feel about that? Are they, they, do you think they can explode and, and get it kind of out of their system in a way? Or is that where the, sort of the, the tip of the iceberg where they start to lose control of what's happening? Well, that's such a difficult question. I mean, I think a big part of me would say, yeah, if they really lose it, they're not going to get it back. But that's, again, a piece that I would work with to see, yeah, maybe you can be super angry for 30 seconds. And I've actually done this with an athlete, different sport, very, very talented athlete, has remained in a multiple gold medalist, but when she was young, she was very emotional and she was very hard on herself and hard on everyone else that she played with. And I said, okay, that doesn't serve you well, does it? And it doesn't help. This was in a team sport. So I said, you get 30 seconds to be ang- angry, 30 seconds to just breathe, and then a minute, because she had like two minutes before she would go back on the ice, and and then a minute to plan how to fix something there. And she was smart enough to do that. And so... You know, people might say what I've just said, wow, that's pretty rigid. But we we train physically in lots of sort of organized professional ways, right? We go out and practice for a half hour on hole five or we go out and hit balls for probably too many too long in some cases. But um and so it's really training our brain and our mind to be in better control. But I don't want to, I don't want to, we can't not have those emotions. So if you are livid because of something you've done, have it. But how much time can you have it 
and still be focused. I don't know. Maybe you can have it half till halfway down the fairway. I, I, you know, that's to be determined. But it has to be um, uh, organized, or you know, like you got to say, okay. And then when I get, you know, into the woods, if that's where my ball is, then I'm going to take a minute, chill out, and then I'm going to plan to how to get it out of here. Right. And you know, when you're a skilled player at whatever level that might be, young player more experienced player, you have the skills to do that. Those thoughts, if you just remain angry or frustrated or livid, stop you from doing that. So is that what you want? And I often do ask those questions because it gets players, individuals to understand we actually do have a choice about what we think and feel. And we can manage them better. Right. So So you look at that with a player and you decide that you know, between you and them, that that's probably not going to be conducive to them performing very well. So you have yeah. to obviously you're going to have to reshape the way they they either talk to themselves or the way they handle what the situation. Um, do, do you feel like a lot of times in in situations where you can get them maybe thinking a little differently and talking to themselves a little differently? Do you think they at times they really buy into it, or are they sometimes giving us what we want to see and hear? Well, sometimes that's the case. For sure, it is, and that's. That's the coach's job to build that rapport um, and to build that trust so they can say the dumb things. Well, I was thinking about my mom or I was thinking about how I had two more holes and I was about to make the Olympic team. Or, And we have to give them, you're trying to create that <clears throat> relationship so they feel safe to say those things because once they say those things, then they understand how a very simple thought can mess them up and take them out of that possibility of accomplishing what they're working to accomplish. But for sure, it's a process of learning, and for some players, it's going to take longer than with others. Okay. And that's just what it is. There's no easy answer to that, and you know, some won't ever get there. Um, very rare, though. Very rare. But it, you know, some just can't do it. And then there's other issues. Then I would say, going on that take us out of the sports psychology, the sports psychology realm, and put us into a different realm of psychology and issues that perhaps need to be dealt with before you get to performance issues, sport right. performance issues. Yeah. Okay. Let uh, me just maybe one more penny here. Just um, talking like. As I work with a lot of younger players, and as we go, you know, they get a little more experience, they get a little older, and we start to go through some things. And um, do you feel like for the athletes, it, it like it, we're in such a, a kind of society now where it feels like we don't want our kids to fail, we don't want our athletes to fail, we want to create as many positive outcomes as possible to keep them motivated. But what would you say to, to somebody that says something like that, and that well, I really don't want the, the athletes to fail because I'm not sure they're going to learn from that. What do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> it's such a good question. Um, I don't ever create failures because there's enough of them in sport that you're going to experience them, so I don't ever look to create them. I mean, if we come back to the distraction piece you talked about, we could you could absolutely do that once they've developed a level of skill set psychologically. But, but I mean, yeah, we have – I mean, that's what makes – I think individuals that compete in sport and the reason that I've sp- – stayed in sport and competitive sport and high-level competitive sport in my life is because there's obviously negative sides to that, but 
there's so many good sides and I think individuals have a capacity to learn so much about themselves. And part of that is failing, right? I mean, you put yourself out there and say, you know, I'm going to try to be the best in the world or the best in Canada or the best in my province. And that's challenging and scary. Um, and along the way, there isn't an athlete that I've worked with. Um, and if even I was to cut it down to the athletes I've worked with who have won Olympic medals, who didn't face failure. And it didn't mean that they were not, you know, bummed and depressed and depending on the level of it, quite depressed for a while. It's hard. Um, but they but they bounced back, they came back, um, and they learned from that and they didn't make the same mistakes again. Um, so I think failure is important. Um, and I don't know an athlete in competitive sport who hasn't faced a significant failure, a significant bad season. Uh, but I don't try to create them by any means. No, like you said, it's sport yeah. can create its own ability yeah. for us to fail. Easy, absolutely. If you've got two, if you got 144 players in the field, there's only yeah. one winner. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to build from that, I would guess, right? Very much so. Okay, Penny, I didn't really have too much more other than you know I think that. You know, we looked at a lot of the stuff that I think we wanted to, that I wanted to, to cover and hear from you. But so I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to add to, you know, sort of what you feel the golfer might need that maybe we haven't discussed today that I haven't uh, posed as a question to you. I guess the only thing I might add is just around setting goals, um, and I think setting goals and having those big goals, like I want to make the national team, I want to go to the Olympics, I think they're very important to have um, because that's what motivates us in the off-season, motivates players and athletes to train hard. The problem is they become stressors on game day, tournament day, play day, because um, be, because they're about outcome, right? And we, we, you know, it's the cliche again, but we don't control that. I could play, I could have my best 18 holes and somebody can still beat me. Right. So it's really important when we're close to competition and play that we, while athletes will still think about that because that's where our brain goes, it's what is my job today? And it's to see, i.e., it could be, you know, to see how well I can play 18 holes, to see how few mistakes I can make. I'm going to make some. How few of those can I make? Which then pulls you into that resilience piece of recovering from, recovering from. So I think that's, goals are, they need to be, um, I think they're fantastic outcome goals, but they're real stressors on competition day. Right. So we just have to be careful with that. And I think also coaches, I think it's a very underestimated skill. And, you know, sometimes players surprise you, right? You put the goal to make the provincial team and they make the national team. Right. So we need to always be aware we can be adjusting them, sometimes up, sometimes down, um, sometimes sideways. And they're great motivators, so make lots of them and pick away at them and celebrate them. Um, but on on when we play, um, it's got to be about, let's just see how well I can play here today and what I'm going to focus on on this beautiful day or this incredibly windy day or whatever it might be. Right, and I think I think that's one of the difficulties with the game of golf is because you're on your own and you're you don't have a team that you're on your own, and it's hard for you sometimes to 
set goals that are more about personal bets rather than in relation to the field. And that, and as, especially with younger players, when we start to look at 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old players where there's, there could be a huge divergence in, in sort of their maturation levels and what they were able to do, I, I think sometimes it's very hard to draw the kids back to that where they feel like going to, you know, in a tournament with a dozen other kids and finish 10th or 11th and, and feel, you know, sort of basing a lot of self-worth on that, on that finish as opposed to looking at the fact that they last year in the same event they shot 90 and this year they shot 82, yep. comparing yep. that one, one performance to another rather than themselves to the other players. Yep. And, again, there's not many athletes I've worked with who didn't have sort of a plateau year somewhere in there, right, where things didn't get better. Um, so I think you're always playing with that, and, and, and so as a coach, it's so important to be creating that environment where they can thrive. And when it's not such a good year, they're doing some other things in their life, and then they, they come back the next year and take a big jump up, that right. we don't catastrophize things because it isn't easy. Right. And, and I think that's, like you say, there probably isn't an athlete that you work with that didn't have sort of an off year. And, and uh, for those of us that work with a lot of athletes that are sort of going through puberty and different things are happening with yeah. them as well, that certainly there's going to be at, there's times when, I mean, the body's just not going to be able to react and, and create what, you know, they might want to do. Well, and that's for sure in terms of younger athletes. They've got life. They've got parents. They've got friends. They've got, you know, girlfriends and boyfriends. They've got school. There's a lot of stuff going on in their lives that also affects performance. So we have to give them a bit of a break on that and then always be saying, well, if you want to be better at this sport, you know, here's what you've got to do. That That's your job as a coach to lay right. that out. Right. Um, but to also you know, flex with that. And again, that's the best I get, you know, because every situation is different. But, you know, you just can't be too rigid on that because somebody that's at 16 might be having a tough year, but at 17 or 18 might really blossom or, you know, might have a great year at 16. And then, you know, so it, it can vary all over the place at the younger ages. Well, it varies all over the place all the time, I think, but certainly in younger athletes. And so it's it's understanding that and helping them still develop skills that, help them be better.